Liz Schuler, uh, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Welcome. Thanks for taking time out of what I know is an extremely busy night for you. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for hosting this. I was just going to say I'm so happy that you and, and Diana and Elise and, and so many of my good friends are on this evening spending time together because I don't know about you, but I'm feeling extremely anxious, even though I'm feeling <laughs> good at the same time. So uh, I don't know how y'all are feeling. My, my tummy's a mess. My, I mean, yeah. I'm going to be real honest. It is. I'm, I'm, I'm having four-year flashbacks here. But, but now that you're here, I'm, I'm feeling much better. Oh, okay. Uh, to introduce you. These are just a few of our more than 70 uh, labor, radio, and podcast shows across the country uh, represented. Uh, we actually have a fairly heavy representation of some of our southern labor uh, podcasts. Like we just had uh, some of you might know Charlie Fleming. From, oh, yeah. the, uh, from the Georgia was was uh, was on. Uh, so we've been having an interesting conversation about uh, labor in the South. But uh, let's let's get the 30,000 foot view uh, from you. But I know you've also spent a lot of time uh, on the ground because that's where you like to be uh, right. wearing out that shoe leather. So, but let's let's give a big picture and then we'll get down to the to the basics. Sure, um, absolutely. And, and as we know, this um, election has been different than any other in the past, uh, primarily because of the pandemic. But I think we have done an incredible job with Labor 2020 um, pivoting to the new tools, the creative tactics. Um, I know in the DMV, even the, the work that's been done uh, to assist other battleground states using our virtual dialers and um, you know, the support that's come in from, from all over the country, I think, has been one highlight, in my opinion, that, um, you know, a silver lining to the pandemic, maybe, that people are helping each other, they're there for each other, and supporting, especially those in the battleground states from other places that um, have resources. So, um, you know, I'm sure you've talked about how it's been a record early vote. Yep. It's been the most diverse electorate. Uh, in history, uh, young people, women, people of color, um, and union members, right? I think out of the hundred or so million early votes, um, three and a half million union members and householders have already voted. Wow. Um, so I think that's a real highlight. And so what I see, and I've been doing virtual campaigning and on the ground, um, is this incredible energy, incredible resilience, um, and uh, the enthusiasm that we would normally see, but just doing uh, our tactics and our, our campaign efforts in new and creative ways. And so that's been really heartening. We were just, uh, Gene Lance, who's uh, out of Dallas, uh, you know, works with the, with the state fed there, was just talking about a whole raft of local candidates there. And I was curious, um, I'll, be, I'll be honest, uh, I've kind of lost track. I knew last cycle we had a ton, a ton of labor candidates um, how we, how did we do this year just in terms of fielding candidates? Because as you know, I mean, winning is great, but oftentimes it's just getting lots of people to run. Uh, do you have a sense of, of where we are across the country on that? Yes, I believe we had um, around 930 or so candidates on the ballot in 2020. Right. So that's exciting. Um, yeah. Certainly, uh, we have, I think, 100 and change that have already won elections. 
um, you know, either a spring general election, for instance, or, or will win tonight because it's an uncontested race. Mm-hmm. Um, we have nine states that have 30 or more union candidates on the ballot. Oh my so I think God. That's perspective. Um, and for example, Indiana um, has been running programs specifically for their union members and really putting a laser focus on it. And they fielded 17 union candidates and this is something new for them. Um, so um, I was at a socially distant rally uh, in Ohio a couple of weeks ago with, um, it was an interesting group because we turned and looked at each other and it was all women and it was all (laughs) local candidates that, you know, were running up and down the ballot for state representative for state house. And uh, there was an Ohio nurses association member um, uh, who was running for, I think it was state house, um, a teacher from the um, Cincinnati Federation of teachers running, uh, I think is running for Congress. Um, so, I mean, we have uh, union member candidates at all levels of government that are running, and I think um, historic numbers of women, uh, people of color running for these, these offices, and as Elise will tell you, um, you know, with the activities we've been doing around getting union women to run, mm-hmm. um, we have put a, a special focus on, um, you know, especially this year, uh, coming off the Women's March and other um, uprisings, women are really leading this movement and they're running for office in record numbers. Well, let me, uh, let me not hog, and I know we don't, you don't have a lot of time, so let me open it up to some of my colleagues. Evan, did you have a question? Was that, okay, go ahead. Liz, thanks for joining us. And hopefully Biden's gonna win. Hopefully we're gonna take the Senate and the House. Um, that's a big hope. Obviously, it, it may be a struggle for months to get there. But with that assumption in mind, how do we, keep pushing the Democrats to support labor and have more influence than say Wall Street and even the neoconservatives? Well, that is gonna be up to us. We say it all the time, right? That we can't let them off the hook. And Joe Biden's campaign has already shown us that he takes the labor movement extremely serious because even, you know, we don't wanna focus too much on post-election yet, but the signs are really hopeful and positive that he is listening to us. He's got labor people in mind for key positions um, in the new cabinet. Um, And so I think it will be, again, we've got to be the ones to turn up the heat, turn up the pressure, make sure our grassroots machine does not stop after election day, and that we continue to engage our members on the issues. That's always the tough pivot point, right? That we get them fired up for the election and politics, politics, politics. And then sometimes it drops off when we talk about legislating or policy. Um, So I think that's a challenge for us as a labor movement is to make sure that in this new administration, right, the first thing we want to see out of the gate is passage of the PRO Act. And, you know, to make sure that, um, you know, working people, as we know, who have been out in the streets, who've been on the front lines of this pandemic, who have had enough of this economy not working for them, uh, that those organic movements that have uh, been on fire on the, you know, front lines of these protests can translate into union membership by fixing our labor laws. As you know, right? <laughs> they are, yes, they are broken. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> so, so passing the pro act out of the gate, and the and Biden has um, and Kamala have have said yes. This is a top priority. Um, 
certainly the HEROES Act being stalled out um, you know, on the Hill and the Senate and, and getting this pandemic under control will be the first order of business and, and having a plan. What a concept, right? Um, and getting um, all of the things that we had uh, front and center in the HEROES Act, you know, unemployment insurance extensions, health care support, um, investments in state and local governments and, and schools and our postal service, um, even our multi-employer pensions. Um, had relief in the HEROES Act. So getting all of that, you know, ready for this next administration right out of the gate will be up to us. And, and just quickly to fo follow up, the Democrats have not had a jobs program in most of my lifetime. And when the private sector is not working, how about we go to the Federal Reserve, we issue credit, build infrastructure, hire union wage jobs, rebuild the entire country, and then we bring in Half of union, I, as I understand it, uh, at least the rank and file is pro-Trump. They've been conned. So trying to bring them in, maybe it's wrong and hopefully it's yeah, wrong. I think those numbers are high, but go okay. on. <laughs> but, but to show that they are getting something from a Biden administration that right. they didn't get from an anti-labor Trump administration. That's just my piece. No, I think that's excellent. And how long have we been hearing about investing in infrastructure? And even Trump made empty promises there, didn't deliver. Uh, Biden has already pursuing uh, plans to um, make sure that infrastructure is at the top of his list. And I'm talking roads and bridges and broadband and energy infrastructure, but I've also been talking about the care economy as infrastructure, because we've seen front and center in this crisis, the impact on caregiving. You know, parents that have had to turn their uh, kitchen tables into a classroom while trying to work. Um, you know, childcare facilities that have had to lay people off. And we know that women and people of color are disproportionately working in the care sector and not only for young people, but are elderly, disabled. Um, so I think it's an often neglected and invisible part of our infrastructure in the country that we need to, you know, invest in as well. And the Biden administration will invest in that because he's already been talking about it on the campaign trail. Uh, Alan? Yeah, Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I guess going back to what you were talking about, uh, turning up the heat um, for grassroots organizing and for getting more women to run for office, um, did you see like an uptick in the urgency after 2016? And do you foresee um, if Biden wins tonight moving forward, a kind of like decrease in that energy? And if so, um, like what are your plans to keep that moving, um, you know, tomorrow, January, moving forward? Wow, thank you for that question. Um, I absolutely have seen throughout this campaign, we've been seeing it build, you know, since Trump was elected. Uh, more women running, um, certainly the labor movement being seen more as a women's organization because we are um, half the workforce and we will be officially half the labor movement by 2023, I believe. So, it's about time that we you know, put ourselves forward and show that the labor movement is a movement for working women. And so that has been building. Um, and the more women we get at the table elected into those positions, the more the issues that women care about become front and center. And we talk about that in the labor movement as well as uh, elected office. So we will definitely be continuing our work to engage women um, within our labor movement, uh, encourage them to run for union office, encourage them to run for level, you know, office at all levels of government, 
And we think that that will be um, something we look forward to and continue to invest in. Um, and I see it as only growing. I don't know about you. So Liz, I wanna, I wanna um, you know I love to talk about labor film. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and and uh, just before you, we had Danny Schur from the Stan movie, which is coming up. And uh, folks may not necessarily remember that Liz comes out of the IBW. In fact, when uh, Danny previewed it for us, I think it was just a year ago. That seems like a million years ago, but it was actually at your screening room in the uh, in the basement of the um, or the lower the lower level the lower level uh, where where the amazing IBW Museum is, which we have uh, every year in the uh, Labor Film uh, uh, Festival. But um, IBW was one of the early investors in that film, and we were kind of teasing uh, Danny about what that pitch must have been like. <laughs> right? He he had a lot of really wonderful things to say about about Lonnie and about the IBW really getting uh, why it was important to invest in labor culture. But I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that because I know this is near and dear to your heart as well. Absolutely. And Chris, I mean, you and I are, you know, simpatico on this. And um, we often, unfortunately, see the arts, sometimes people see it as a last priority, when in fact, it can be one of the most potent tools for organizing. Um, time and time again, I see some of the most creative and powerful uh, rallies and events uh, always tie together some kind of cultural element, whether it's mm -hmm. film, music, theater. Um, so, and often I will say young people get it. Um, yeah. I know, I remember one of the coolest events I went to on it was the minimum wage event um, in San Jose um, a few years back where uh, young workers in the labor movement combined forces with uh, San Jose State and um, I think it was during Halloween, they did a, um, like a, a Walk of the Living Dead kind of um, event. Uh, and it got local news and everybody dressed up. And, you know, most labor leaders would be like, what? Uh, you're doing what? <laughs> and, but it was, uh, it caught fire because people wanted to be a part of it. They, it was symbolic because of the minimum wage and, you know, the plight of working people in the Bay Area, the homelessness the inability to you know, make a decent living. And they were able to get the community involved, not just the labor movement. So I think there's so many great examples of how we tell these powerful stories, either through film, um, you know, theater, song. Um, and so I think I wish we would do more of it. And um, you, you know, you always have me on speed dial for any kind of uh, support and event that we can do to lift that up for sure. The, the last thing, and this is just something that's close to all of us as, as the network, is that, you know, the IBW, of course, has a fabulous media department. I've, I've stolen lots of ideas from them. Uh, the AFL uh, now has a great media department. I was one of the, you know, internationals, you know, level to have a podcast. And I just wanted to get your thoughts, you know, uh, these are just some of the more than 70 labor radio shows uh, and podcasts that are part of this nascent network. And, you know, we're, this is the first national broadcast that we've done, but this is something I know that you've been really visionary about. And I'm just thinking, you know, whatever happens tonight, it's clear that going forward to have our own platforms is really critical. And I just want to sort of get your thoughts uh, on that to this group. 
Well, it is so exciting too, because we can actually speak directly to audiences we normally wouldn't be able to reach mm -hmm. through other means. And, you know, for years we've lamented about the cost of, of doing business and having your own television station or your own, um, you know, radio or, or traditional broadcast channels. And I think using podcasts and other forms of media um, just give us a direct channel to the people we're trying to reach. Um, and I would love to learn more from you because we have done quite a, a battery of approaches over the years. Um, what works, what doesn't work, where we should be investing resources, um, and really looking at, uh, again, creative ways to knit this together because we do have a lot of people doing podcasts out there. Are we doing the best we can do to be coordinating our messages and aligning with each other and lifting each other's work up and, you know, in, and being more interconnected? Um, because we know that solidarity is, is our mantra, right? So shouldn't we be actually looking at this more holistically? Mm -hmm. um, or is it a thousand flowers bloom? I mean, I don't know if anyone's really done that kind of analysis to see what the most effective approach is. Well, let's go to the, uh, the he hates this, but we're, we're going to go to the other Washington out there in Washington State, uh, one of our colleagues out there. Uh, Harold, why don't you go ahead? I think you're on mute, Harold. He's, 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 a, he's an actor. He should know this. <laughs> and we're eight months into Zoom, right? <laughs> no, we're having a little technical uh, problem with, his, uh, with, your, with your audio there. But I'll follow up to one of the things while he's working on that. Um, one of the things, uh, and, and, and listen, you have me on speed dial. We are very happy. We meet every week and we'd love to have you and we can have a nuts and bolts conversation. But, you know, we have 73 shows across the country. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm lucky because I know so many here in DC, you know, that I know either if, if I don't know them, I know who to talk to to get to folks. Uh, but, you know, for the Jacob Morrison, you know, um, who, you know, to, if we can make folks available to the Jacobs and the Jeans and the Jeremys um, right. who are working, you know, frankly, uh, with extremely limited resources. Um, and I don't want to speak for you guys. You guys should speak for yourselves. But I think that's one of the things we've talked about on our, on our weekly meetings um, is, is that those kind of things would be helpful. Yes, and lifting up just this incredible talent and mm -hmm. dedication and uh, you keep us all going and keep audience keep feeding the audience right um, because we we talk so much about how the labor movement isn't recognized and appreciated as much as it could be for the things the work sometimes just doesn't get noticed and part of that is using our channels more effectively and, and folks like yourself to lift up that work. I talk a lot about disaster relief, for example, um, and community services work. Um, you know, who is the first to respond during a hurricane or a tornado or a flood? It's the labor movement, right? right. We're, we're running in, not only in our work as first responders, but also with the charitable efforts that we do, raising money and rebuilding people's homes and doing food drives. Um, we've done it during the pandemic, often thanklessly, um, and serving the community without being asked or without really you know, looking to be recognized. We just do the work. Um, but I think more, if more people knew uh, about that, they would have a much more favorable opinion of the labor movement. Although we are, you know, our 
Gallup uh, approval rating has gone up dramatically. I know. Yes, so, it has. Yeah. Harold, I think, oh, he's, there he is. All right. Wonderful. Go ahead, Harold. Uh, hi, Liz. So um, I know you have a connection to the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Uh, so you understand the culture that we have out here, which is going to be very different than the culture in Jacob's area, which is going to be very different than the culture in Chris's area or Jeremy's or Gene. So one of the things that we look at here in the network is what is it that we can bring from our different areas that makes sense in our region? Something that we've been really successful with uh, in the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council with our podcast, Working to Live in Southwest Washington, is we've had a decided community focus. It's definitely produced by labor, and most of the people on the show are union members, but we're talking about general community issues. So it's the voice of labor on things like online schooling, how to deal with political intimidation in public, that sort of thing. So I wonder if there is a broad sense that the AFL-CIO can give to people who are thinking about starting their own podcast, their own radio show, about how they can speak to their communities from a labor perspective, but that still resonates in their community. Wow, that is, uh, I think, a fascinating thought as to what could we be doing at the national AFL-CIO to plug into that and be uh, of use there. And, um, you know, is it some kind of user's guide or is there some kind of toolkit that we could collaborate with you on uh, to encourage more people to get in this game, right? Because uh, communication really is uh, where it's at and we need to take advantage of it. So I would love to see, you know, what we could work together on. Yeah, I think that would be tremendous. I love um, this idea, though, of tailoring it because each community is different. Um, yeah, in Southwest Washington, I am familiar with because I grew up in Portland. Um, and, you know, just thinking about how, you know, there, there is a common thread, though, of this, the issues that we all care about, but then being able to link back to the community um, and be, you know, connected to the community issues that, that, people in your local area care about. I think that's one thing we found as our general shows have talked to each other in our weekly meetings. There are things specific to Texas, Louisville, Huntsville, Alabama, that are going to be within those communities. But like you said, there are overall threads. So I think if we could work together on some kind of guidance like that, to bring up these new communicators within the labor movement, I think that it could really flourish. I love it. I'm looking at the comments and I think somebody just posted that John Hickenlooper is the, the, that's been called. Yeah, and I'm so anxious to um, hear some of the races. Has anybody got any other new information that's been coming through? I've not been paying attention to my phone here, but. <laughs> uh, me neither. That's uh, actually, we have somebody who's uh, supposed to, Al Alan is doing that. Alan, uh, check on that. In the meantime, I think Jeremy had a question and then uh, Liz, you have been very generous with your time and Thank oh, you. we're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna tag team with Elise. That's gonna work well. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And yeah, I'm gonna jump after this question, but before I got on, they had just announced in Georgia 
Did you hear about the pipe that burst? No, tell us. Yes, um, uh, Fulton County, which I guess has a part of Atlanta, which is gonna yeah, be yeah. the area for Biden. They had gotten only 87,000 votes into their count and a pipe burst, which okay. now they say will delay the results of that key county for one to two days. Wow. So they may not be able to call Georgia at all uh, without the results of this county because of a pipe bursting. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh. I think Does we anyone union, know a union plumber? Union plumber, thank you. I got, I got <laughs> one. That's, right. Liz, I think you can, you can help out here. You can make a phone call. <laughs> all right, one last question from Jeremy. And uh, then, it, uh, it wasn't so much a question. I just wanted to, to piggyback off of something Liz had said earlier about how like when big things happen, like hurricanes and floods and stuff, it's unions that jump into action. And something that we've been doing, not like at an international level and at a local level with, with my local, uh, sorry, Liz, I'm Jeremy Waugh from uh, Chief Metal Workers Local 110 in Louisville, Kentucky, um, host of the Break Time Breakdown. Um, we've been making a very conscious step for, to, we, we discovered that um, even though we're, we're big, loud construction workers, we're pretty humble when it comes to things that we do. We don't like to talk yeah. about our skills and, and the stuff that we do. So we're making a very conscious effort to be a little less humble about when we jump into action because we want people to see that we're doing things and we want them to know that we exist because if we no longer exist some of this help that they were getting that they didn't realize they were getting goes away so we want them to see that you know that like they might not know what a sheet metal worker does or what smart is but if they keep seeing these smart army t-shirts and and stuff like that every time something's being done in the community they'll start to link us to very positive a very positive message it is so perfectly put. So I'm glad you're being less humble. Um, <laughs> get it out there. And, and like you said, the branding and connecting um, the union, um, the colors and the, you know, the alphabet soup that we wear that doesn't make sense to anybody else. But if they see it consistently and they're like, hey, wait a second, my little league coach keeps, you know, he's part of this thing called smart or, you know, um, this person who responded and, and showed up and, and wired this person's home that had just gone through a fire or, you know, um, so I could not agree more. And I think that will be our charge going forward, especially as the Gallup poll numbers are climbing. We should be out and proud, right? That, that we're union members. We're not in hiding and um, make Amen. it known. So good work. Thank you, thank you so everyone. Much. I am so, so grateful for your platform, for the work you do, your passion, the, um, you know, we're all being very tenacious in these times because we're, no matter what, we will not give up. We will be there. That is the one thing that is ever present is the labor movement. Yes. So well done. Thanks thank for you. your time. Appreciate it. Keep up all the right. fight. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Liz Schuler, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO.